We know that you want to build your family on the right foundation from the very start, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Concordia Publishing House offers more than 8,000 products for churches, schools, and homes, dedicated customer service, and an experienced staff to help you focus on what matters most. Click to connect at cph.org. Concordia Publishing House, listening, responding, providing for God's people. Concordia Publishing House, cph.org. first stanza of the Reformation hymn, Salvation Unto Us Has Come. It is the hymn for this coming Sunday. Now, over the course of the church's long history, and even to this day, to this day, and most recently, the vast majority of Christians on the planet, and I do mean the vast majority of Christians on the planet, have read the Bible on Sunday morning, have have had their scripture readings read to them on Sunday morning in church according to one of two ways. Historically, it's been through a one-year lectionary. That is, in one year, through the course of the four Gospels and many of the books of the Bible, you hear an Old Testament and epistle and the Gospel reading and all the things that go along with those, and it repeats every year. That's that's pretty easy to understand. Now, there's also a three-year way of doing that that repeats itself every three years, and that makes for a little bit of confusion. Now, last week... We started a great series with Dr. Carl Fikencher called Looking Forward to Sunday Morning, and you kind of had to choose. Is it going to be the one-year way of reading for Sunday morning? What are we looking forward to? Or the three-year? We started with the three-year, and in order to uh, cover all of our bases, we have a companion series that we're kicking off today on issues, etc. Looking Forward to Sunday Morning according to the one-year way of reading through the scriptures on Sunday morning. Pastor David Peterson will join us for this. What we're going to be doing is... Pretty much the same thing. What are you going to hear this coming Sunday morning, and what should you be expecting to hear this coming Sunday morning in church? Pastor David Peterson is a regular guest. He's pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and editor of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. David, welcome back to Issues Etc. Thanks, Todd. Great to be here. Last week, we started a series looking forward to Sunday morning based on the three-year lectionary with Dr. Carl Fikencher of Concordia Theological Seminary there in Fort Wayne. What's the difference between that longer system of reading the Bible Sunday by Sunday, the three-year lectionary, and the one that we're going to focus on in our series with you, the one-year or the historic lectionary? Well, it's the one-year lectionary repeats every single year. And the three-year, or the other lectionary, is on a three-year cycle, so it, it's sort of confusing because it does repeat every year, but it's a three-year repetition. Um, so every year there's Christmas and there's Easter, so the, the broad outlines of the church year are there in the three-year, but the, they try to focus on a different gospel each year and then fill it in, kind of backfill with John. The historic lection, or the one-year lectionary doesn't focus on a particular gospel um, it, it pulls from all four, and it's, it's repeated every single year. So the second Sunday after Epiphany or something will always have the same reading every year. 
that, that's the big difference. Does that make sense? Yeah. What's the benefit of kind of every year on that particular Sunday returning to the same sets of, of readings and, and also the propers for that Sunday morning, those things that, that key off of the gospel reading and change Sunday by Sunday? What's the advantage there for the layperson on Sunday morning? There's a couple of advantages. First of all, it's, it's sort of like a children's Bible. We're not going to get all of the Bible read through the, through the readings that are assigned on Sunday morning, but we're going to get the big events, we're going to get the critical texts, and we're going to really learn them well. So, so there's that kind of intensity. And the other thing is that even as like most Christians have a very firm sense that when they come to church on Christmas Eve, they're going to hear Luke 2, right? Uh, the, about the uh, the census and the Bethlehem and all that stuff, because that's what you're supposed to read on Christmas Eve. And that's right, we agree with that. But there, actually, every single Sunday of the year has tight texts like that that are associated. And if you do it year after year after year after year, you, you come to anticipate them and recognize them. And they also kind of jibe with your life uh, in a way. You know, if your mother dies... And then the next Sunday is Septuagesima, as it is this Sunday, and you hear the parable of the vineyard. I mean, it will hit you in a certain way. And next year, when that anniversary of your mother's death comes up, you'll have that strong association because it'll be reinforced. So that's the advantage. It's kind of the intensity and the familiarity in learning those texts well. You just used a rather fancy term, Septuagesima, which is one of the official name for this coming Sunday. What does that mean um, what does that term mean, and where does that locate us in the course of the church year this coming Sunday? Well, it's, it's Latin for 70, and it locates us roughly 70 days from Easter. So the church year uh, is always focused really on Easter, even in Advent and Christmas. We're really being driven by, by the death and resurrection of Jesus, commemorating that great event. And so Lent, we have this weird thing in English that we don't use any of the right na- names for things. So in Latin, uh, the name of Lent is not Lent, it's quadragesima, which means 40. Um, and then we have Lent in English means spring, or is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I've got to remember how this works. So we, we do this in English all the time. It's funny. It, I actually love it because it's a beauty of our language. Like Christmas isn't Christmas. Christmas in Latin, it's the nativity of the Lord. But, you know, these, these Britons, these British people, whatever, our, our forefathers in English, they just had to rename everything. So, so anyway, uh, Lent means spring, right? Christmas means, I guess, Mass for Christ instead of the Nativity. So you have all these things that are renamed. So quadragesima is what Lent would be in Latin, and septuagesima is three weeks out from that, and it just means 70, so we so it's are just marking the time. So we're consciously this coming Sunday saying, um, "Here comes Easter." Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. We're, and that's the that's the really great thing with Transfiguration at the end of Epiphany, which is a, a Lutheran um, innovation. There's not very many Lutheran innovations in the liturgy or to the church here, but that's Transfiguration's a big one, and I think a brilliant one. Uh, because historically, Transfiguration was celebrated on the on August sixth, but the Lutherans made it always the culmination of Epiphany because of the light, because of the revelation, of God revealing Himself uh, in the Man Jesus as God come for us, and so and then that turning towards Jerusalem, they they they, they go down the mount from Mount Transfiguration to Jerusalem towards the crucifixion, 
And so you have that brilliantly, liturgically, that transfiguration is the end of Epiphany, and now with Septuagesima, we're 70 days from Easter, we're turning and and setting ourselves toward that. So this church year, especially in the case of the one-year series that we're going to be um, that we're going to be following here in this series with you looking forward to Sunday morning. The church here is a map, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a map. It's kind of an annual pilgrimage um, that we're, we're, we're moving through these things, kind of reliving them. I, I should have said something else about the uh, differences between the one year and the three year. One of the, the, one of the places where it's really evident is right now, because the three year lectionary does not have these Jesima Sundays. Uh, they, they have a longer epiphany season. So, in fact, one of my shut ins asked me on just yesterday because her daughter had taken her the Bolton from Sunday and she says, why, does, why did you have transfiguration? And Portals of Prayer says trans, it's not transfiguration yet. So, so we're in a little, the, we have a unique season in the, in the one-year cycle uh, that doesn't exist in the three-year. Okay. All of this, in whatever lectionary we're using, but in, especially in the case of the one-year lectionary, all of this um, on any given Sunday is kind of dialed into the gospel reading. Why is that, and what's the gospel reading for this coming Sunday? Well, the reason for that is that that's what everything's dialed in on, because we're dialed in on the Messiah and the events of, of his life, uh, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. That's what all the Bible's about. That's what it's all pointing to or remembering. And that's what we're all about, because that's the atonement. And, and so the, that's the reason we stand for the reading of the gospel, uh, uh, to recognize that what the gospel conveys, it's not more the Bible than the Old Testament reading or the epistle reading, but it's, uh, we're recognizing that these are the very, uh, the very central reality of our salvation and who we are and, uh, in Christ as he has bought us and won us. So, so the, you're exactly right, the, even as ceremonially we stand for the gospel, it's always the gospel uh, text, what's read there, that really everything else is about. And again, Christmas is kind of the nice example, because everybody knows when you come to Christmas, you're going to hear about that. But it it turns out uh, that it's always that way. So this Sunday, the gospel is Matthew chapter 20, 1 to 16, and that is the uh, parable of the vineyard workers. Tell us the... uh the parable that Jesus is telling here and how it kind of sets a theme for this, for this coming Sunday. Well, it's the, it's, do you want me to read it? I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know how we want to do it. No, this. absolutely. If you want to read it or read a, a portion of it and, or, or summarize it, however you want to do it, David. Well, I really, I, I you know, I'm a biblicist. I got I think I want to read it. Good. That's okay. Good. Okay. Let's, let's hear it. It's, it's only 16 verses from the ESV. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, 
they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Okay, so there it is from the ESV. I, I, it's, a good, it's a great translation until the very end. Uh, but uh, the, two, the two great themes of this parable are, of course, the character of the gospel. Uh, in fact, the parables that sit probably highest in our piety or our love are probably the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son. This one really deserves to be right up there with those. Uh, because, of course, what we see is that the, the, the master of the house, the owner of the vineyard, does not pay according to merit or work done, but he pays in a way that's unfair, in a way that no business owner pays, right? Nobody pays people for not working. You, you're going to go out of business doing that. And there is this kind of ridiculous extravagance of his generosity that is unlike what we know. Uh, so that's kind of the first big theme, and we can unpack that in a minute the other thing, much like the prodigal son, um, is that there's this covetousness that comes in at the end, that they are those who have worked all day, who made an arrangement according to the law. The others proceeded on faith, but that first group, they agreed for a denarius, they got what they bargained for, it was fair, it was just. But they are covetous or maybe envious because somebody's got something for free and then they don't like that. Uh, so they complain. And that's where the one place that this translation falls down, uh, unfortunately, is this line, do you begrudge my generosity, in uh, verse 15. And that is quite literally, uh, as we know it from the King James, is your eye evil because I am good, um, which has to do, I don't, know why they, I don't know why they decided to interpret it for us, um, because this thing about your eye being evil because God is good is really the, a definition of what happens to us when we become covetous or envious, um, that it, it skews everything that we see, and we can't recognize the goodness of God because of our sin. So anyway, the two great themes are really the character of grace and, and then the, the warning against and the call of repentance toward covetousness. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. We're doing our series with him, kicking it off today. Looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary on this Wednesday afternoon, January the 28th. More with him right after the break. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by joining the Issues Etc. 300. Emmanuel Lutheran, Alexandria, Virginia. Bethel Lutheran, Ballinger, Texas. Mount Calvary Lutheran, Eola, Texas, Beautiful Savior Lutheran, Bridgeton, Missouri, Christ Our King Community Lutheran, Costa Mesa, California, Lord of Life Lutheran, Plano, Texas, Christ Lutheran, Platte Woods, Missouri, Hope Lutheran, Sonora, Texas, Faith Lutheran, Azona, Texas, and Emmanuel Lutheran, Steger, Illinois. Find out how your church can support this worldwide outreach by including issues, etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to our website, issuesetc.org, and click support. 
When your congregation joins the Issues Etc. 300, we'll advertise your congregation on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Issuesetc.org. Click Support. The Issues Etc. 300. Christ-centered. Cross-focused. You're listening to Issues Etc. Lord God, Thou hast made me a pastor and teacher in the church. Pastors know they aren't perfect, but they are to be cherished and supported. Learn more at ACELC.net and register for our next conference on the unbiblical removal of pastors from the Office of the Ministry, February 10th through 12th in Kansas City, Missouri. Pastors aren't perfect, but they are a gift from God. Learn how you can support them at ACELC.net. I will certainly bring it all to destruction. You can sing and recite the church's hymn book, The Psalms, using modern English and new musical settings in the new Concordia Psalter. Check it out at issuesetc.org, or you can purchase the Concordia Psalter by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Make the Concordia Psalter part of your devotional life this year. 1-800-325-3040. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January, the new Concordia Psalter. We're kicking off a series on this Wednesday afternoon with Pastor David Peterson of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, editor of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. Looking forward to Sunday morning. It's a companion series to the one that we're doing with Dr. Carl Fikentcher. Dr. Carl Fikentcher, we're following the three-year lectionary. That is a system of Bible readings for Sunday mornings in churches. And in this one that we're starting today with Pastor Peterson, the one-year lectionary that repeats the same readings every year. Pastor Peterson, before the break, we were coming kind of at the heart of Sunday morning, which is the gospel reading, and you talked about two great themes, the character of grace and the call to repentance toward uh, covetousness. Let's start with that first one, the character of grace, this gospel reading where the owner of the vineyard pays not according to work, but according to generosity. How do we find that coming across this coming Sunday morning? Well, I mean, here's the thing. We've got, you know, there's, there's a couple other things to, to sort of note here. Uh, like, is so, first of all, I always like to remind people that the thing we need to look for in the parables are how it is that God is different than us. Not because it's not a comparison of how we're like God. It's always how God is different. And there's the surprise. And the surprise here is what you said. He doesn't pay the way we would do this. The other thing it, it, it's worth noting, and this is a nice example of it, is that almost every one of the parables, in fact, I think there's only two that don't do this, and I can't remember where they are, but is that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like a man. Um, that's an important uh, point here, because, of course, uh, this is what John the Baptist announces, the kingdom of, the kingdom of heaven is here uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. So, so we, we get out there that, first of all, the kingdom of heaven is not like a business. It's like the business owner. It's a person. Uh, and uh, so that's already sort of weird. And then uh, it, we have this very interesting thing of the first ones make their agreement. They make their bargain. That's a law-based arrangement. It's just and it's fair. They get what they bargain for. The rest proceed on faith. Uh, when he comes there at the third hour, those people were standing idle. They were not good people. They were not hard workers. Uh, and, and they proceed. He tells them, whatever is right, I will give you. And they trust him to do that. It's very unlikely that they expect to get a full day's wage. But they, but they go on faith, trusting he'll give them. And then it gets even more exaggerated as it goes. 
because the next group, he doesn't even, t- he just tells them, you go into the vineyard. He just orders them. No promise of anything. And yet they, they recognize in there an, impl- an implicit promise based on his goodness. And then the reversal of the last or first. So you have all those great gospel things going on there. And in, I would note in the parable, he actually does line them up last to first. Yeah. I mean, he literally takes the last guys hired who have just, they haven't even broken a sweat yet. Right. And just got off his, the back of his pickup truck when he picked them up, you know, in the marketplace. And he puts them first in line to be paid first, building this anticipation among those who are operating according to the law that they're going to get more than they bargained for. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I, it's, it's not hard to understand why they think that. But again, because this is so unfair. Not only does he, right, I mean, they, at least they should wait for their wages. I mean, it's first come, first served everywhere in the kingdoms of men. Uh, we, we hear this, the first shall be last, the last shall be first so often, because we're Christians. It sometimes loses its sting, and it's meant to sting. Uh, the whole point of that, the whole point of lining them up in reverse order and then making this statement is that the kingdom of God is it's built upon grace is in a sense unjust you know it's it's giving what's not fair to to those who don't deserve it now the uh, i want to talk about some of the other readings in this coming sunday morning okay. in the in the one year lectionary and i'm going to go to the old testament reading and then to the epistle but the old testament reading is usually the one that also keys most directly off of the uh the gospel reading and it's the famous story from exodus 17 where uh, Moses draws water from a rock. Tell us that story. Well, this is so. This is a brilliant. Whoever came up with this, because we've got it. It's from Exodus 17, which is the time Moses does it right. So he's the people are grumbling and complaining. The Lord tells Moses, "Go strike the rock, and I will provide water for the people." And Moses does it, and it works, and and everything's sort of fine, except that he calls the name of the place uh, Massa and Meribah, which means. Uh, temptation and strife, uh, so to sort of as a judgment against them. But of course, what we're all thinking about, I expect, is what's going to happen the next time in Numbers chapter 20, when Moses is uh, told again, to, they're complaining and they need water, and he's told to go. And that time he's told to go and simply speak to the rock. And uh, of course, as we remember, that time he strikes it twice. Uh, and then it is because of that that Moses is denied entry into the promised land. So, so this is the first time, but it certainly has the whole story in mind. And uh, I think that this really fits in beautifully with this kind of covetousness that the, that the workers who had worked all day according to the law had. That the problem with Moses that second time is not simply that he disobeys God's word and he strikes the rock when he shouldn't have, though that's part of it. The greater problem is that he is holding in derision the people whom God loves. And he does not think that the people are worthy of God's mercy, and he doesn't want God to be merciful to them. So he's, he's placed himself into the role of Satan, into the role of judge, uh, and is sort of wanting to deny mercy to people that God wants to be merciful to. The other thing with the rock, of course, is that uh, we do know, and I know you're going to get there, but in our, it's going to be in the epistle lesson, that the rock is named as a type of Christ. Uh, we all drank from that rock. And you also have these uh, sentences of our Lord when he says, let him come to me and drink, he who believes in me, he, he will never thirst. And, uh, and then also there's another time, 
Oh, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, John 4. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. So you have this Christological reality there, that this isn't just a rock and it isn't just water. Now, in the epistle reading, and you've already anticipated it for us, we have uh, 1 Corinthians 9, some verses there from Paul, and it actually uh, beautifully goes with both themes, I think, mm-hmm. in the gospel reading, beginning with, uh, you look, you're on a race, you get a prize. Run so that you might get the prize. Almost sounds like he's starting out with the, you get what you work for kind of a mentality. Take us into that, if you would, Dave. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's, that's the whole thing. And then, of course, uh, he also has this, this uh, terrible thing that I discipline my body and to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So he does, he starts off that way, but it does turn out to be this warning that uh, are we going to be able to discipline our bodies enough? And then he wants to remind us that, uh, that all of our fathers were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all ate the, drank the same spiritual drink. So there's a warning. They, they are a warning to us and their lives and the whole Exodus event uh, and the wandering in the desert. And then for they drank from the same spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Uh, that there is this amazing thing that they're not only a model of of the danger of rebellion and the danger of not trusting God and of, and of uh, giving into the flesh. They're also an example of God's mercy, right? That he, that he was in fact merciful. He did provide for them. Uh, so yeah, I think you're exactly right. It does provide both things. I mean, it's a heavier law kinds of passage because then it ends with uh, verse five, chapter 10. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. But anyway, the, the, you do get both of those things. It's this, they don't deserve any of this. I mean, the people behave horribly in, the, in Sinai, right? This is also an example of where, where Paul is rather bold with the Old Testament to talk about them being baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And, and he's obviously making a connection between both baptism and the body and blood of, of Jesus Christ. Um, here, eating the same spiritual food. I don't imagine that his original audience could have missed the at least uh, the strong implications of what he's saying. What would you say about that, Pastor Peter? No, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, for, of course, First Corinthians is very concerned with the Lord's Supper. Uh, you know, it's the next chapter that he's going to give the words of institution, and he's already rebuked them because when they come together, they're not eating the Lord's Supper. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, absolutely. In in, in Corinth, uh, he's very much showing them their connection to the to the people uh, in the wilderness, and that what God was doing, God has always been doing. And it's not as though, I mean, I always like to say, it's not as though it comes to the night on which our Lord is betrayed, and he says, hey, I got it, I just had an idea, you know, I thought I ought to leave you guys something. This was the plan all along, um, and it's not accidental, the bread and the wine. Uh, in, in some ways, that's because, of course, these are the uh, essential food, uh, but also it's because uh, this has been being set up for years. Uh, for, for thousands of years. It's the reason that the Levitical law forbid them from eating the blood of animals, because life is in the blood, that that's a deliberate setup for him giving his blood to them to actually drink uh, in the Lord's Supper. Uh, 
uh, as he institutes it. And the same thing with the water. Uh, all this water stuff in the Old Testament, sure, in a sense, it's because water is the essence of life and necessary uh, in it for, for life. But it's also because God continually and consistently acts in the same gracious ways toward us. There, there, is, there is a real pattern here that we are meant to discern. Let's take a break, and when we come back, already an hour two of Issues Etc., we'll continue our new series today, looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year series of readings. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. He is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, editor of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. In the second half hour of that second hour, Molly Ziegler-Hemingway of The Federalist is going to join us. We'll talk about the GOP's backpedaling on late-term abortion, a New York Times editorial on the Supreme Court and same-sex marriage, and the HBO series Girls. Stay tuned. Preaching Christ and Him Crucified. You're listening to Issues Etc. I think every man, every Christian, should consider, at least, the possibility of God calling him into the holy ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Carl Fakencher of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Because that's the way that God has designed for faith in Christ Jesus to be spread, for the gift of eternal life that Christ Jesus earned by his death and resurrection to be shared with people by the washing of baptism for infants and for adults, for the instruction, the proclamation of the word that happens uh, on a nonstop basis in God's kingdom. God uses people, he uses men to be those proclaimers, to be those men who who share the, the sacraments. If you've ever considered becoming a pastor, contact Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Their phone number, 1-800-481-2155, 1-800-481-2155, or visit ctsfw.edu. Christus Chorus of Concordia University, St. Paul, Minnesota, with the Epiphany Hymn, I Am the Light of the World. It's playing right now at our 24-7 sacred music station, Lutheran Public Radio, any time of day or night, all throughout the year and following the course of the church's year, that liturgical year we talk so often about, Quran issues, etc. You will hear the very best of sacred choral music, absolutely free, at lutheranpublicradio.org, lutheranpublicradio.org. We're kicking off our series on looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. The Sunday coming up with a gospel reading of the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Pastor Peterson, already in these three readings, the, the gospel reading that warns against this covetousness shows God's grace and then the epistle in the Old Testament read that are wove together so beautiful. We, we have already the law of quite clearly coming through, warning against the blindness to God's generosity, in a sense. What's the gospel that we find in these three readings? Well, the gospel is he provides water for these people that 
I mean, Moses's judgment is correct. I mean, they're grumbling and complaining. They want to go back to slavery in Egypt. They're not worthy of this water. They don't appreciate it. They don't really understand it. And yet God desires to give it. Um, and that's, that's, that's a miracle that I don't think we can extol enough or recognize as fully as we're, we're just not probably capable of it. That God, in fact, he only loves unworthy people. Uh, there, are, there are no people that are worthy of it, and, and that ought to just kind of blow us away. Um, so the, the covetousness or the envy that comes because somebody else, somebody's getting something he doesn't deserve, and that makes me mad. First of all, that's based on self-righteousness in me. I think I deserve it. Uh, the, but the, the second thing is, is it's just simply a denial of God's... If we're denying that God... Uh, loves and forgives sinners, we're denying the very essence of God. Uh, you know, there's, there's all sorts of stuff with this rock, too, uh, especially, you know, once St. Paul opens it up and says that rock was Christ. Uh, I, I don't think it's going too far to, to note that in Exodus 17, as we'll, as we'll hear it read, that he's to strike the rock and the water comes out, and then the second time he isn't. Um, and that there is this that Moses is trying to re-sacrifice or re-crucify Christ. He was only smitten once. He only dies once, once for all. And Moses, when he judges the people, when he denies them the forgiveness of sins and the water and the mercy that God wants to give, it's as though he's trying to re-crucify Christ. Uh, he's requiring a, a more payment than God has already made. And again, that's, that's that satanic impulse. It's, so, I mean, yeah, yeah, that law or gospel, it's sort of a funny, sort of funny thing. It depends on which side of it you're on, right? Another element, uh, Pastor Peterson, that we will find on this coming Sunday is this is so-called intro. It's actually the first element, that this ch- changeable element that we hear on a Sunday morning that is key to the gospel reading. As you said, the parable of the labors in the vineyard, and that's Psalm 18. Take us into that, if you would. Well, Psalm 18 is a psalm that... Uh, I mean, we're told this at the, in the title of the psalm, that David writes in response uh, when the Lord has rescued him from the hand of Saul. Uh, and the verses that are read uh, as they're chanted or sung as the intro it are, are, are this, these verses. The sorrows of hell compassed me about, the snares of death prevented me. In my distress I called upon the Lord and I cried unto God. He heard my voice out of his temple. Therefore I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. So we get the rock thing uh, uh, kind of hinted at there, that we've got that coming. It's a, we're not going to know in the intro the whole context of the psalm. We just get these verses. Um, so we may not know that it's a psalm of David when he's delivered from the, the hand of Saul. And in some ways that's okay, because this even though David writes this psalm in response to this deliverance from Saul, this is a psalm about the Messiah, of course. David wasn't literally compassed uh, about in the snares of death and in Sheol, but our Lord Jesus Christ was. This is a psalm about, about the Messiah and his atonement and what he will do for us uh, that is then applied to David figuratively, as it is also to us. Uh, through confession and absolution, through repentance and forgiveness and so forth, we actually live through this. Uh, so you get this, uh, you, you get this setup that right away in the intro, it, and I, it's hard for me to imagine 
many Christians who would hear those words, the sorrows of hell compassed me about, the snares of death prevented me, in my distress I called unto the Lord and the Lord heard me, who wouldn't recognize these are about the Messiah. So it, it does, in a way, kind of turn our focus. And again, in a way that's, that's prefiguring and looking towards Lent, that we've now made our transition out of Epiphany and we're headed toward Jerusalem. What I recommend, by the way, to, to my parishioners and to other people, is that when they come into church on Sunday morning, that the first thing they do uh, after they say a prayer is read, open up the bulletin and read the gospel. There probably aren't very many of our churches where the gospel's not printed out in the bulletin. If, if it isn't, there's probably at least you're given the reference and there's a Bible there. And even if they don't have time to do anything else, because... It's really hard to figure out what's going on if you start with the intro and just move forward. Um, it's way easier to understand it if you've got the gospel first. Now, sometimes you might be able to do it. The other thing we should say in fairness is sometimes these connections are kind of subtle, and we may not be able to figure it out, you know, how exactly they're related, other than that they're all about Jesus and they're all from the Bible and, and so forth. But that's part of the joy of it. It's, it's kind of like a puzzle. And uh, when people do that, they find that church is less boring. It's more engaging intellectually, and it's also uh, more edifying when they're, when they're trying to sort of puzzle out what is the mind of the church. What does Psalm 18 have to do with the parable of the vineyard workers? So you come in and, you, and you're recommending here that, that the worshiper get his bearings by going immediately first to the gospel. Very well said. That's what I recommend. I mean, you can do other things, you know, and I'm, we're not making up laws for people. But I, I do think that that's kind of a, a great way to start, uh, that if you, if you know what the gospel is going to be for that Sunday, which is a great thing about this program, by the way, uh, you're really going to be prepared, and you're going to hear the sermon better. You're going to understand more of the references in the sermon. You're going to understand where he's going. Um, even if he doesn't preach on the gospel, if he preaches on the epistle or the Old Testament or something, it's still going to be very closely related to the account in the gospel. And uh, it, it'll, just be a, it'll just be a more edifying experience. Please don't mishear me. I mean, you can just walk in and sit down, and God will feed you, and, and God will provide, to be sure. But if you've got a few minutes, uh, it's, a very, uh, it's a useful exercise. And for the sort of people that listen to issues, etc., I mean, they're going to enjoy that challenge, I think. Now, we, we talked a minute ago about this entrance psalm, the intro. That's all it really is, is an entrance psalm. Um, and you said, and I've, I'm wondering, does it serve as a good rule of thumb to always, uh, even though it may be kind of mystifying at times, to always first say, what? It, let's put these words in Jesus' mouth and see what Jesus is saying of himself in this psalm. I, I think that's absolutely always the case. Um, and uh, I don't, it, it might be a little bit mystifying, and it can be sometimes. And the, the Psalms, well, the Old Testament does this in general, but especially in the Psalms, it does switch back between persons that are speaking sometimes without telling us. You know, they don't, they don't have the sort of indicators that modern English literature does. But, but uh, that, that is the question we should be asking. I'm, I actually began, I'm preaching through the Psalms right now. I started in Advent. We're going to pick it up again in Lent. I'm only about 30 into it. And it is just blowing me away. Um, it's, just, it's just wonderful. Uh, maybe not for the hearers, but for me as the preacher. Uh, they really are Christological. They really are Messianic. And uh, 
it, it's, it's, it's just marvelous. The other thing that the Psalms are, and you can see this even in the verses in the intro, is the Psalms are more, the more markedly law and gospel than any other part of the Bible, really. That it's just very typical like this. The sorrows of hell compassed me about, you know, you've got this very kind of clear law thing that this is horrible, but then you get, he heard my voice out of his temple. Um, you know, so there's, there's always this, they always sort of start bad, they always end good. It's amazing. Now, um, there's a, another element of Sunday morning that uh, does change with the gospel reading and that is the collect. What is this prayer? How would you describe a collect as a prayer? And what's the one for this coming Sunday? Well, a collect is a very stylized prayer that, that follows very strict orders uh, and is very succinct. And the idea is, it's just a Latin pronunciation, collect. It's, it's collecting, so it's really the collect. It's collecting together the major themes of the day, uh, and usually from the gospel. And often it will name it, you know, O oh Lord, in your transfiguration, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes they don't. There, it's, it's often the best place, if like you read the gospel and you're like, I wonder what that was about, or if you're trying to figure out how the intro fits, the collect is often kind of the most poetic, but also the kind of most pointed in telling you what's at stake. The one for this Sunday reads, O Lord, we beseech you favorably to hear the prayers of your people, that we, who are justly punished for our offenses, may be mercifully delivered by your goodness for the glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful college, could be prayed any time, um, you know, w- that we're recognizing that we ought to be justly punished for our offenses, and yet we are bold to ask that we be mercifully delivered by his goodness. And there's a nice tie there um, with the parable because the vineyard owner says, is your eye evil because I am good? Uh, and even as the Lord says, right, only, only the Lord is good. So it's, it, is a, it is a really nice echoing of the gospel theme. Uh, it's a legitimate prayer. Uh, we ask it just as a prayer straight up, but it is also catechetical and it is setting the mood uh, and, and kind of hinting at, at what's to come. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. We're doing our series with him. Looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. He's pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Now he mentions those collects, those prayers. Here, this one comes in attendance to that 18th Psalm, In the Issues, etc., Book of the Month for January, called the Concordia Psalter. Lord Jesus, both David's Son and David's Lord, thanks be to you because you undertook the battle against our enemies and ransomed us from the power of them that hated us, as you now sit at the right hand of the Father, a Lord over all things, be our rock and defense, our buckler and the captain of our salvation, that in your name we may defy and despise the very gates of hell, triumphing over them forever and ever. Amen. Just a little touch, what you will find in the issues, etc. Book of the Month for January, called the Concordia Psalter. It's a book of psalms appointed for study and for devotional use, and as you heard there, with devotional resources alongside. Find out more about the new Concordia Psalter from Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy at our website, issuesetc.org. We'll be right back.
Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. facebook.com slash lutheracademy. The Saints at Gethsemane Evangelical Lutheran Church in downtown Marion, Ohio, invite you to join us as we receive Christ's gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation, which He won for us in His perfect life, death, and resurrection. Sunday School for All Ages begins at 9.15 a.m. with the Divine Service following at 10.30. Visit our website, gethsemane-lcms.org, or find us on Facebook to learn more about our confessional, historical, and liturgical congregation. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. We have a special offer for Issues Etc. Reformation Club members. If you join or upgrade your membership in our monthly or annual giving program during January or February, we'll add the new Concordia Psalter to the list of current membership benefits. T-shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for your confessional Lutheran congregation. You can find out the benefits of being an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron at issuesetc.org. Look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses. Or contact Craig, 618-223-8385, or Craig at issuesetc.org. Join or upgrade your membership in the Issues Etc. Reformation Club in January or February, and we'll send you the new Concordia Psalter along with your other premiums. The Issues Etc. Reformation Club. Welcome back. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin on this Wednesday afternoon, January the 28th. Ten more minutes in the first of our weekly series, looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year set of readings, the one-year lectionary. Pastor David Peterson is our guest in about 10 minutes. Molly Ziegler-Hemingway will join us from The Federalist. We're going to talk about the GOP's backpedaling on late-term abortion. They did it. Uh, they were promising to go forward on a 20-week ban on abortion, a bill that probably wouldn't have made it past the president's desk, but would have made it through both houses of Congress, likely. They back down on it. There's a New York Times editorial that says if the Supreme Court only articulates a new definition of marriage, the debate will be over over same-sex marriage. And we'll also talk with Molly about the HBO series Girls that apparently she and her husband watch together in the evening. We'll find out how that goes in about 10 minutes here on Issues Etc. Pastor Peterson, you were talking before the break about this collect, this small prayer that is part of the propers of the coming Sunday morning. And they all have that form that you described where there's so it begins with some characteristic reaction on the part of God on the basis of that, a petition regarding ourselves. And then it is always prayed through the name of Jesus Christ in the name of the Trinity. Why is this simple form of prayer so useful, not only to teach us, as you said, but to teach us what to ask for? Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's the marvelous things that the, that the petition, and of course, petition is just a fancy word for request, which is what the word pray means, too, to ask. 
uh, that it comes out of God's own characteristics, God's own, as he's revealed himself to us in the scriptures, uh, who he promises to be, who he is. And then, yeah, there's that marvelous Trinitarian, r- really the, the termination, the conclusion of these collects, which is very kind of formal and stylized, is really a little doxology, where it's a little bit of praise. Uh, and again, a reminder of who God has revealed himself to us as in Holy Scripture, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it, it, it's not the only way we can pray, but the most natural way to pray is, for Christians, is to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. And that is the way that the, that the colics reinforce, and, and the way that they um, mostly do. There, there are some colics that are addressed to the Son rather than to the Father, and there are a couple that are addressed to the Holy Spirit, but even they, as you said, they still wrap up in this Trinitarian thing, remembering that we're never praying to one person of the Trinity in isolation, since that would be impossible. So there, there, it's a beautiful Trinitarian confession, almost creedal. The hymn of the day, at least the one that I have appointed before me, is the great uh, Paul Speritus hymn from the time of the Reformation, Salvation Unto Us Has Come. Why this hymn? What does it say? Well, this is, as you say, the great, uh, the great hymn that extols what grace is. Again, this idea of the, the vineyard owner paying people who didn't actually work, who didn't want to work, uh, who had wasted their lives, and yet here it comes, God's free grace and favor. Good works cannot avert our doom. In fact, in the parable, the only people that perform good works, uh, that we have this horrible line that uh, the vineyard owner says to them, take what is yours and go. Uh, that's, uh, God forbid we take what is ours and go, right? Um, if we only get what the law promises, what the, uh, uh, th- that's no good. So good works cannot avert us. And the people in the uh, parable who actually are good, uh, I mean, in a sense, aren't so good, and they end up damned. So it's, it's yeah, our people go crazy for this. I'm glad you brought up the hymn of the day as one of the propers. That, that's a kind of a Lutheran innovation. Other liturgical churches don't have hymns as strongly as Lutherans do, and we actually have hymns that are historically associated with these specific Gospels. And I think it's weird to people. Um, Lutheran, that's because Lutherans use hymns differently than other Christians, and that for us, hymns are always preaching, catechesis, they're teaching. That's why we sit for hymns. We sit for the sermon, we sit for the Old Testament and the epistle, because we're learning, we're hearing, and we sit for hymns. It's, you know, sometimes they're praise. These things are not that, uh, you know, monotone. But, But for the most part, Lutherans understand hymns as teaching, and so the hymn of the day in particular uh, is a historic hymn that's associated that is somehow going to amplify or expound or enlighten this particular text or some aspect of this text that we think is important. And that's also why, even though a lot of people think it's weird, we don't sing just a few verses of a hymn. We, we like, Lutherans like to sing the whole thing. In this case, it's ten verses, and it's sort of long, but... Uh, if I tried to sing less than that here, they'd probably lynch me. And, and this is a hymn in particular that cannot be cut, because if you cut it at the wrong place, you're going to end up with a real ending of the law. Well, if you go to, if, let's say you just go to verse 4, you will yeah. end with, so deep is our corruption, amen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the point is, you do need to think about where it ends. 
and uh, that we want to end with the full story. And and uh, and this this hymn does it probably better than any other. That it really preaches the gospel. Uh, I, I know you probably feel like this too. Half the time we sing these great hymns, and then I have to stand up and preach. And I'm always tempted to say, I don't know why I'm going to bother to preach at this point. What more? What more could I say? Uh, because it, it's done it so beautifully. So to kind of bring this all together in in one place, as our time winds down, we have this gospel reading wherein uh, Jesus tells us that the very kingdom of God is like this man who. Uh, does not run his business in a way that would ultimately prove profitable in the the business world, but freely and kind of in a profligate way pays a wage that bears no relationship to the labor that's put in. How would you summarize all of this for us for the coming Sunday? God wants to give away his kingdom. He's, he's giving away his profit. It's not profitable to him. It's profitable to us. Uh, I always come back to the good shepherd. Uh, the good normal shepherds, human shepherds, raise sheep for slaughter, for meat, and for wool to fleece them. The good shepherd's a weirdo, and he lays down his life for the sheep. It's this, it's this unexpected thing that the, there's no benefit in it for him except that uh, he gains us as his children. We did miss another theme in this. There is really a mission theme in all of this as well. Uh, in the uh, in the intro, it with the uh, uh, the talking about uh, his ruling over the heathen that he's going to go out, and also in this uh, that that he wants people in the vineyard that he goes out and seeks them and and sends them to the vineyard. So there is a there is a great and appropriate mission emphasis here as well. Is that something that the church? Um, we, you know, we're looking for law, we're looking for the gospel, we're looking for that centrality of the, mes- of the message of Christ's atoning work on the cross. We go on Sunday morning anticipating and, and requiring that we hear these things, but also that this is not just a message for us, but for the world. Amen. Absolutely. This is right. We, 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 are, we are filled with, with, with joy and, and want others to enjoy it and participate it, uh, and he won it for them also. So why shouldn't they have it? And there are there are seasonal emphases like that. Um, Epiphany is a season that is more interested in missions in a way than than other seasons of the church. And uh, and I think this Sunday too, and next Sunday, um, the following sexagesima, another fancy Latin word, uh, has this idea and this urgency and this joy at being able to share this good news. See, I'm thinking uh, with about 30 seconds here, Pastor Peterson, I'm thinking about those men standing in line getting paid, and the last one's in line when he says to them, take what is yours and go. They could be hired by anyone else the next day and strike the same deal, a denarius is one day's wage. But the guys who were paid first for zero labor, or virtually zero labor, they will be looking for that master the next day. They will show up at his door saying, can we work in your vineyard? Because we know how generous you are. Is there something there for us? Yeah, that's right. That's a beautiful, I never thought of that, but uh, I think you're spot on. That's a beautiful illustration of how sanctification works, of how God, of how God motivates and, and, and works in us exactly. Pastor David Peterson is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He is editor of Godestines, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. You'll find a link to it 
at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Listen On Demand. David, thank you very much for your time, and I look forward to next week's Looking Forward to Sunday Morning with the One-Year Lectionary. Thank you, Todd. When we come back on this Wednesday afternoon, we're going to take up three issues with Molly Ziegler-Hemingway of The Federalist, beginning with the GOP's sudden backpedaling on a late-term abortion bill on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. We'll be right back. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Epiphany season at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the Epiphany season, 24-7. LutheranPublicRadio.org. Bethany Lutheran College is pleased to sponsor Issues Etc. and Lutheran Public Radio. Bethany Lutheran College is located in the picturesque river town of Mankato, Minnesota, and is committed to making Christian higher education affordable for all with generous financial aid packages available. At Bethany, you'll find stimulating academic programs, a friendly atmosphere, and opportunities to grow both in intellect and in your faith, all within the framework of a supportive Christian environment. For more information, visit us on the web at BLC. For 20 years, we've lifted our voices and instruments to the hymns of Stephen Starkey. Now, CPH has the first ever CD collection of Pastor Starkey's works titled, We Praise You and Acknowledge You, O God. This 12-track CD includes nearly an hour of music from the most beloved Lutheran hymn writer of our time. Order now. Use promotion code URA. We Praise You and Acknowledge You, O God is only $15.99 cph.org. The 500th anniversary of the Lutheran Reformation is fast approaching. We have such a rich history as Lutherans, and many people don't realize that. The CLCC offers a seminar called Your Reformation Walk that teaches that rich heritage and helps you appreciate it. The CLCC also offers other seminars designed to help laity learn to appreciate what Lutherans believe, teach, and confess. So invite us to your church. Visit the CLCC.org and get details on scheduling a seminar for your church today. Educating a new generation of Lutherans. You're listening to Issues Etc. Hey, St. Louis. How would you like to achieve your fitness goals in a fun and supportive atmosphere? Hi, this is Kevin Rysick, owner and operator of Arch Fitness of East Alton, Illinois. We offer adult boot camps throughout the week. These camps include cardiovascular conditioning, muscular strength and endurance training, balance and coordination activities, and more. For more information, give me a call at 618-670-6952, Arch Fitness of East Alton, Illinois, 618-670-6952. What if we made it clear to the Sunday morning visitor that Jesus is actually present, forgiving sins? I've written the second part of my essay, Lord's Day, Lord's House, Lord's Supper, and you can read it in the latest Issues Etc. journal. Just click the red subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. The Wittenberg Trail feature details Pastor Eric Rapp's journey from the New Age through Methodist pietism to confessional Lutheranism. The free online Issues Etc. journal.